people need to know that you care before they care what you know. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. Hope you're staying safe during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. We are past the initial shock of the crisis and everyone, no matter where you are in the world, is moving into the question of how do we continue to work and how do we lead during this uh, this new world and beyond. And so the crisis may have passed, but the sense of crisis goes on and uh, we want to help you through that. If you haven't already, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on Facebook for the Humphrey Group, and we are offering regular complimentary webinars. I encourage you to attend. And then, of course, we have relevant content through the Inspire podcast. My guests today, and there are two of them, Jeff Angel and Benjamin Morgan, are uniquely suited to talk about communication during the crisis. Collectively, they run the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications, and I had them on to talk about how audiences need change during a crisis, how you should adjust your communication, mistakes to avoid, and things to do. So a lot of value there for anyone leading in this time and wanting to inspire. So enjoy my conversation with Jeff and Benjamin. Gentlemen, as we are in the midst of global lockdowns and near economic shutdown. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Thank you, Bart. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, great to have you both virtually. So why don't I turn it over to you? What does the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications do? So I'll start. It's Jeff. It's Jeff, Bart. We help organizations, any organizations, businesses, not-for-profits, small companies, big companies, prepare for uh, a crisis, help manage through a crisis, and help recover from a crisis. It's it's critical that um, organizations take the time to prepare, they practice, and, and during a crisis that they're able to execute successfully on those plans. And then post recovery, help them help them get back to you know a state where they can exist successfully for them and all their uh, employees, volunteers. And stakeholders. So we're very excited about the work we do. <laughs> you know, we are in the thick of a crisis. The first question I have is, did any of your clients, when you describe preparing for a crisis, did any of your clients prepare for this one? Oh, a number have. We, we've, had, um, we've had a pretty, pretty busy year. We wrote um, an entire crisis communications plan for a large Canadian municipality. Uh, we've helped out a number of clients prepare you know, as we like to say, when did when did uh, Noah build the ark before it rained? So that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what we like. We're we're big on preparedness. Having said that, now we're all in a crisis that uh, you know, I don't think many of us saw coming. We we do work with a couple of people that that did see this coming. One of the 
people we work with on the emergency management side, Greg Zalecki actually contributed to a paper about seven or eight years ago on a worldwide pandemic mm. um, arising out of China. And coincidentally, they picked it coming out of Wuhan and they did the mm. modeling. It's interesting to hear his comment that everyone thought, well, yeah, we need to get ready for the small crisis and maybe even the the medium one, but a worldwide pandemic, that's not likely to happen. And, and uh, I think I think all of our, our perceptions on what's likely and not likely to happen have changed. Yeah, the world the world is certainly a very different place than it was a month ago. And and your expertise is why I want to have you on. I know you're going to talk to us a bit about how the rules for communication change in crisis. But let's back up. How what are both of your backgrounds? What led you into this relatively uh, niche line of expertise? I worked at um, British Airways in New York for a number of years, I headed up their communications for North and South America. And at the time, terrible accident with Concorde, it crashed. It was an Air France Concorde, but for about an hour, we didn't know because Concorde flies so high. We didn't know at British Airways what, what was the state of our Concorde. It, it landed safely, but then we went into crisis response mode because lots of people associated the brand of Concord with British Airways. So we helped with the response, the crash of Concord. We worked with Air France and then the relaunch of it. We worked with the governments of the United States, the United Kingdom, France, and we got to, to work very closely with uh, Mayor Giuliani in New York at the time. And we did the the relaunch of it. And that was a challenging time because that was, we planned it and then September 11th happened. And so we'd lived through September 11th and made the decision as a company at British Airways to continue on with that. And that was November, November 6th was the relaunch. So we got to work closely with all those levels of government and organizations. That relaunch press conference part was viewed by over 500 million people. So when when people talk about getting nervous when they speak in public, I, I get it. I understand. Ben, how about you? What's your background? What led you into this line of work? Um, I'm associate faculty. I teach crisis and risk communications mm-hmm. at two Canadian universities. And uh, together with Jeff and my mentor, uh, Dr. Cavello, uh, formed the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications. Well, my background is a little bit more random than uh, than Jeff's. I had a 16-year career as a advanced life support paramedic, primarily across the province of Alberta, with most of my time in the city of Calgary. And during my time as a paramedic, I had the great fortune of serving as the public education officer for the paramedic service. So that basically meant I did all of the media interviews uh, about crisis events. So I did a about face and in my late 30s did a career change, went back to school and did my master's degree in communications at Royal Roads University. And uh, just as I was finishing my master's, the city of Calgary invited me back in a newly created role called the supervisor of crisis communications. And I started in that job in March of 2013 with the expectation that I would create a corporate crisis communications plan, rebuild the crisis communications team and Well, that was in March of 2013, uh, three months ahead of, at the time, that would become Canada's costliest natural disaster and largest peacetime evacuation. And those who don't know it, can you just elaborate on that disaster? 
Sure. So in, uh, in 2013, uh, Southern Alberta experienced a one in 100 year uh, flood, which basically disrupted the entire southern part of the province with flooding all the way from the, from the mountains uh, out to our, our friends and neighbors in Saskatchewan. So what that meant in the city of Calgary was an evacuation of the entire downtown core, uh, 26 different communities, about 88,000 people uh, with complete loss of infrastructure. I remember and, the pictures were cataclysmic. Um, so that was my, my trial by water <laughs> and, then, uh, and then trial by fire uh, through, yeah. my, through my involvement with Canada Task Force 2. I was uh, sent up to Fort McMurray during the 2016 wildfires, again, in which the entire community of Fort McMurray, about 80,000 people, were evacuated um, from the entire city. I'm wondering if you could start with this point that you made, which is that everything you thought about communication changes in crisis. What are you referring to uh, when you make this point? So as as Ben mentioned, Bart, we... We follow closely the work of Dr. Vincent uh, Cavello, who's um, a master's, uh, he's got his master's in neuroscience from Cambridge, PhD from NYU. And, um, but so we follow his research and guidance, and he has done a ton of research. He's put the, the probes in people's brains to understand what happens when people are under stress. Mm-hmm. And in what's what is the neurological response? So simply put, in high stress and high concern situations, including a crisis, the rules of communication change. And it's very important that um, that organizations and people understand that, because if you don't change to adapt to those new rules. Your, your, your audience isn't going to be able to process mm-hmm. the information you're giving them, and that potentially has grave consequences. So what do the rules change to? What are the new rules, essentially? So I'll, I'll touch on, on uh, a couple of things, and then I'll, I'll throw it over to Ben. But in high-stress, high-concern situations, the number of things that a brain can process, the maximum number is three. That's why across the board when you're asked to in an emergency situation how many numbers are you asked to remember only three nine one one right mm-hmm. um, in in a completely relaxed zen-like environment the brain can remember a maximum of seven things that's why originally all of our phone numbers started off with seven hmm. numbers and so the the brain science and research if, if we don't understand we don't understand that basic principle right away. And we've seen this a lot in this, in this current crisis. Um, there's been lots of communication, but most of it's lost because it's not as succinct and clear as it needs to be. Hmm. So that's okay. So rule one is rule of three. That's all we can take in. What would be the second rule in crisis? The second rule would be that you need to modify you need to modify your your communications. Um, if you're not modifying them, you're going to lose your audience. Hmm. People will people will tune you out very quickly. So if you're not adjusting to the environment that you're in, and what's what's different about 
this crisis, Bart, is that in, in, in a typical crisis, it's, it's a, a, an event that happens in a moment in time. This has been stretched out and will continue to be stretched out for a while. Um, you know, I heard Dr. Anthony Fauci mentioned yesterday that really life isn't going to come back to the way it was before until we develop a vaccine for COVID-19. So this crisis is elongated in a way that no other crisis has been. So the modification of of our communications will need to continue throughout this crisis. And that's challenging for people because we don't, we don't know exactly when it will end. How should people be thinking about modifying their communication, not just today, but for the next six months, for example? So there's a couple of message templates that uh, Dr. Cavello uses, and I'll let Ben do a deeper dive. But the first advice that we would give everyone is to be caring and empathetic with the first words that are out of your mouth, Mm -hmm. whether you're the leader of a country you know, a public health official, or you're talking to your spouse, partner, best friend, that, that caring, that empathy, that's the first thing that needs to, to come out of anyone's mouth, because that sets up the other person's brain to receive the information. As, as Ben likes to say, uh, people need to know that you care before they care what you know. Hmm. And you, you've seen that. I'm going to you know, generalize here, but, but for our public health officials, I think they've done a particularly good job on that. The, the one that stands out uh, for me is Dr. Bonnie Henry, and uh, she's the public health officer in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Probably get a little more coverage of her out west. Mm-hmm. Than she's she's made her way over here because of her exceptional communication. For sure. And she comes across as empathetic, caring, uh, compassionate, and then she follows up with conviction, what needs to be done. And then the last component of the CCO message template I'm referring to here, care and conviction is optimism. And the optimism is that we can flatten the curve, mm-hmm. that there is light at the end of the tunnel. We might not know exactly how long the tunnel is. We know it's going to be long, but that there is light at the end of it. So she has done uh, She's mm-hmm. done a, a fantastic job in, in uh, my estimation. When you were dealing with those, na- those crises in Alberta, the flood, the fires in Fort McMurray, were these te- was that template something that you consciously sought to apply? You know, I wish I could say yes. Um, <laughs> and, and when we looked at the flood, I mean, I was, we were three months into that position and, you know, rewriting a plan. So, mm-hmm. we hadn't, you know, I was still in research mode. But what was interesting to me is as I got to know Dr. Cavallo and understand these templates and theories, we discovered that we had done it organically. And if you, for anybody who had kind of watched the floods unfold and even the Fort McMurray fires, during the floods, you would have seen the first media briefing in the morning was conducted by the mayor of Calgary, Nahed Nenshi, an amazing spokesperson and represented what was happening there with a lot of style and a lot of uh, humility, we ended up calling it speaking to the heart and speaking to the head. And so if you watched any of the press briefings, the mayor, Mayor Nenshi, he always spoke first. And his message was one of very caring. And he would have said, you know, last night I was in the community and I talked with people and I understand, I see that you're hurting. 
we are, you know, you need to know we're working here. Uh, we're with you. We got your back. We are resilient. And those were all of his mm-hmm. very caring and optimistic messages. Then the director of emergency management would come up and, you know, provide the numbers, the stats, this percentage of the grid, you know, the electrical grid has been restored. This percentage of community, um, you know, these communities are allowed to re-enter their home. It was organically, um, but most interesting for me was that it actually kind of mirrored the CCO template, caring, uh, conviction and optimism. And it happened organically. We just happened to call it speaking to the heart Mm. and speaking to the head. But I like, I like the way you put, I like you're speaking to the heart, speaking to the head, because to your point, until people feel that connection, feel that you care, feel that you empathize with them, they're just not open to hearing about the rest. Well, and the other, the other thing that uh, Dr. Cavello's research has shown, uh, and again, this comes from actually sliding people into MRI machines and seeing which parts of their brains are activated, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, he, we know that in high stress, high concern situations. So when people are concerned or upset that they will have difficulty hearing, understanding and remembering information. Mm. And they will most often focus on what they hear first. And so if you're talking about a a crisis, if you're talking about impacts to business, you know, if, if, so to your point, Bart, when you're communicating with your group, your staff are going to focus most on what they hear first. And if what we're saying first is our, you know, our company's stock prices are down, that's what they're focusing mm-hmm. on. As opposed to, we care about you as our staff. You are the backbone to our organization. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. You've heard, you know, our stock prices are down and, and we need to respond. You know, we need to respond to this situation. Here's what we're doing about it. And we're hopeful. They may not like right. the news. You know, if you look at WestJet, who lost half of their staff. Right. I believe, from what I've heard, I have I have friends that work at WestJet. It was done in a very caring way. It wasn't, mm. hey, our flight. You know, we've lost flight routes and and business is down, so we've got to let half of you go. It was, you're our family, and I think WestJet has created that as a culture mm-hmm. from the beginning. You're not just an employee. You're an owner. You're part of this. And so when it came time to make that really tough decision, it was front-ended with a really caring and compassionate message. We still had to get business done, mm-hmm. still needed to, to do reductions. They provided their employees with choice. Here's, here's what we're asking of you. You know, what's going to work best for you because what works best for you is important to us because we care about you. You know, you may not like the end result. We don't like it either, but we care about you. And I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. when, when this rebounds, I can't see who wouldn't want to return to that right. company. So those are some some great stories of doing it the right way. Now, what would you say that some of the biggest mistakes that leaders or companies make? So I'm going to answer that one, Bart, because it's you know we're we watch the the news almost 24 seven as part of our <laughs> who doesn't now right <laughs> stay in and one common mistake that most of our political leaders are making right now and this comes from dr cavello's research he's very clear on it's particularly important to avoid absolute terms that inherently are, are uh, can be subjective so when whether it's the prime minister or any other premier says we're doing everything we can 
that's very subjective. You know, today it's a hundred billion dollar aid package. Well, why isn't it 200 billion? Why isn't it 500 billion? So one of the things that we caution against is, is using terms like that um, because that becomes very subjective. What you can do is say, we're working very hard. We are very concerned. Those resonate better than we're doing everything we can. We will always be here for you. Those are very subjective terms that um, lead the audience and the viewer, or the listener to um, you start to lose credibility hmm. a little bit because they're they're subjective. And that's that's very important. So one of the things and I posted this publicly that but the federal government not releasing the modeling mm-hmm. that they have for, Can- for, for all of Canada. And they've come up with different reasons that, that don't really wash, you know, well, we need, we need to have the modeling from all the provinces. Well, the U.S. released the modeling and they have 50 states. We have 10 provinces and three right. ter- territories. The U.K. released their modeling. New Zealand released their modeling. Um, there's an old saying that people can deal with tragedy and adversity better than uncertainty. And right now, the Canadian population is, you know, we're feeling uncertain. We're, right. we're not sure. So it would be, it would be a much stronger um, crisis communications move for the federal government to release their modeling. Hmm. We can handle it. Canadians are, are resilient. Mm-hmm. We've come together. Just let us know, you know, what happens if this is the worst case scenario that will happen if we don't change our social distancing behaviors. And if we do, here's where we could potentially mm-hmm. get. Well, um, and here, here in Ontario, you know, Doug Ford, who I have to say, I didn't really think too much of Doug Ford's communication before this. I've been, I've been really impressed with it. You know, he's stepped up, he's led, he's inspired. Um, he's stood shoulder to shoulder with the federal government. He's put politics. That's been really impressive in my view. He has and been fantastic. Yes, I he agree. Really, he really has. And, and, you know, he was criticized for not releasing the modeling data. And he, then you heard him come out and say, we're going to do it because you deserve to know what I know. And the interesting thing to your point is there's a huge range in the data. And really, there's no clarity on, you know, where it is. But just by being transparent, it bought huge credibility for the province. And that was a seminal moment. I was watching it live when he said, I want Ontarians to know what I know. Mm-hmm. And that's, that connected with his audience. It felt like he was fighting for Ontarians. I spent half my life in Ontario, so it felt like he was fighting, <laughs> mm-hmm. fighting for me. It was, it was, it's exactly, you're exactly right. It's just such a great example. And yeah, I'm with you. I don't think any of us saw, saw Doug Ford this genuine and this empathetic before, but he has really connected with his, with mm-hmm. his audience. He gets full marks. One moment I particularly liked with him, you know, he, the contrast, you know, when he was running for office, one of his platforms, I think was like buck a beer or something. I forget the exact details, but in this recent press conference, he said, it's not worth having a few beers with your buddies in the basement. (laughs) I was like, it was was so authentic on message. So any others that, that leaders should watch for these days, aside from not using absolute statements and, uh, and not being uh, transparent. I'll, I'll finish it off and then throw it over to Ben. So the one thing that organizations need to be careful of is that it's a very risky spot when the leader of your organization becomes your chief spokesperson. So, and, and that's a, we're, we're getting to the, 
in my estimation, the end of people having these daily briefings by there, whether it's in Canada by Prime Minister Trudeau or in the United States by President Trump, when the leader of the organization becomes your chief spokesperson, mm-hmm. that's not a spot you want to be in. The Why leader, not? On a, on a daily basis, because the audience is going to tune out. It should be a moment of significant gravitas that when the, org, when the leader appears and makes a pronouncement. <clears throat> now, it's been okay for the first couple of weeks of this crisis, I believe, as things were really spiraling mm-hmm. out of control. But if in the long term... For example, Prime Minister Trudeau continues to do his daily briefings for the next three to six months. They run the risk of losing the audience. Hmm. People are going to get tired and tune out. If I was advising the Prime Minister, I would say it's probably time to start thinking, pulling back his daily press conferences Hmm. at least a little bit. And then they've done a great job of setting up um, the other ministers that that, uh, implement um, the policies that, that the prime minister makes the big announcement on. So, like I say, I'm giving I'm giving almost full marks to to all of our political leaders. But that's something that I would advise caution against because we're just gonna we're just gonna tune him right. out as an audience. He's just gonna become um, a tired and oh, it's his daily briefing and 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 so we mm-hmm. want that's that's a caution that we want to we want to be careful of um, whether you're leading a small organization or a country. The same rule applies. And then become a bit more like the queen who came out of uh, hiding to deliver a really inspiring talk. Yeah, right, right. So that would be on the other end of the yes. fourth time <laughs> since we World, War again. <laughs> World War II. Yeah, so that, that's probably, we, we probably want a, a little more than that. But that's right. exactly right. Bart. Yeah, that's one end of the spectrum and the, the, the daily right. regular briefing is the other end. So somewhere in between is where I believe the, the government should mm-hmm. be aiming to get. So, so good, good lessons there. And, you know, as we turn to the people listening to this podcast, we have leaders at all levels, fewer leading government or who knows, maybe Prime Minister Trudeau is listening to this, but, uh, but more likely people listening lead teams, they are executives, they have communities that they're leading. Ben, if I turn to you in this time of crisis, what advice would you give to them? What should they be doing from a communication standpoint? Well, I think Jeff's, Jeff has summed it up really, really well. But I would, I would add, make sure that what you're communicating, what you're sharing adds value. So I would ask, what value does this have? So if you're, if you're an organization and you're sharing information with your employees or your customers or your stakeholders or your board of directors, whoever you're communicating with, is what you're sharing relevant to you? And, and I, I'll always, I use this expression, it's called stay in your lane way. What, and, and, and it's so easy to drift off into the shoulder mm-hmm. or to, you know, run into oncoming traffic, bad analogy, but stay in your lane way. What is of relevance to you and your organization, the people you're speaking to? So as an, organi- as an organizational leader, am I sharing information with my staff just because I feel like I need to be communicating? Or am I sharing because this is an important impact, a, a significant change in the way I'm doing business that I need to share with my, my staff? Don't share stuff just because you think you need to hmm. share it. Jeff and I, we don't laugh, but we keep receiving emails from 
companies that maybe have my email from 10 years ago when I right. ordered a, a, a hammock that I used to go camping <laughs> and, and, the, and the message is, we're here for you. And, and I don't know what that means. And it's, it right. kind of turns me off and it, it, it adds no value. Hmm. Um, so make sure your communication is meaningful mm-hmm. and that ties right back into being authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I would say be authentic okay. and share, share information that is meaningful to your company and uh, don't try to own too much. I always ask myself and ask my clients, what do you own? Who owns COVID-19? Who owns it? No one The wor- and everyone. Right. I, I might suggest that in this, the World Health Organization mm-hmm. owns it. And to certain degrees, uh, the federal, you know, mm-hmm. different countries own the response to COVID and you can make it all the way down. But I'll tell you, as a Center for Crisis and Risk Communications, we don't own COVID-19. And so I don't think it's our place for us to be sharing all of the health information. Right. All we say is look to the trusted source of information mm-hmm. and look no further. And, and for us, our trusted source of information is the World Health Organization. That's uh, Dr. Cavello's primary client. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we look. Now, I do own staffing. I do own changes to my store hours. I do own uh, you know, staffing levels that no one can come into my store anymore. I do own that my staff are now expected to work from home. I do own changes in sick time policies, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. That's what I own and that's what I need to be communicating about. Uh, But not the stuff that that isn't mine. I got to stay in my lane way. So for those listening who would like to build their skills and knowledge, talk a bit about what you're offering to the world community right now. So we've decided to give our communicating in a crisis module uh, and health crisis pandemic away, Bart. So for any organization, big, small, it's at no cost. So we would, we would encourage you to go to our website, which is crisiscoms.ca. So C-R-I-S-I-S-C-O-M-M-S.ca, crisiscoms.ca. Reach out to us, please. We're here to support organizations to help you get through this. We, we can do a, uh, probably a deeper dive than most organizations have done before. And we are prepared to do that at no cost. So as Ben was mentioning, that's our, we feel that that's the right thing to do. That's our give back to, you know, our, our not just our mm. community, but frankly, the planet. Um, this is a tough time. We're all, we're all feeling it. And uh, we want to step up and do the right thing and, and help, help people and organizations get through this. So please, please reach out. Yeah. And I, uh, I think it's just a fabulous thing to do. You know, as you said, it's the right time to be doing it. You know, we, as you know, Jeff, and you may know, Ben, we at the Humphrey group are trying to give away as many pieces of content uh, through this podcast, through webinars, uh, through other things that can help people get through this because we really are at times like this, uh, a global community. So yeah, I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast and giving away your expertise and time. I mean, I'm, I'm coming away with a lot of great lessons on things to do and not to do, and hopefully everyone listening has. So thank you, gentlemen, for uh, sharing your expertise in, uh, in this time of COVID-19. Hopefully it will help everyone get through it a little easier. Thanks for having us, Bart. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great.
Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Angel and Benjamin Morgan from the Center for Crisis and Risk Communications. A lot of great takeaways on how the psychology of communication changes and what you can do to really step in and lead and inspire during a crisis. And we certainly are in one now. So uh, I know I'm taking a lot of great stuff away from uh, those two gentlemen and their insights. So two things. One, if you don't know, we're doing a fundraiser helping frontline workers right now. If you go to our Facebook page or LinkedIn page, look for the Humphrey Group. If you donate $50 or more to a frontline organization, send us a copy of the receipt. You get a seat into our inclusive leadership program, which starts in May. And it's a value of almost $1,000. So great way to support frontline workers and build your skills during this time. And the second thing is, I'll be back with another podcast. Next time, I welcome Liam Austin. He is an expert in running virtual conferences. He's been doing it for years, so he's ahead of the curve and has some great insights into what it takes to approach a conference, a virtual conference, with the intention of creating something really powerful. So tune in next time for the Inspire podcast. Until then, stay safe and may all your communications be inspirational.